Today we're going to think about discipleship that is separated. If you haven't been with us, we've been looking mainly at Matthew 5 on, looking at particularly what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, this German pastor who was killed during the Second World War, what he shares about this. And we're thinking here how disciples relate to the unbelieving world around them. And this is something that's so crucial, it's so important how we relate to those who we meet day by day. And so let's think, of, first of all, of the disciple and unbelievers. Look in here, Matthew 7, verses 1 to 12. And we begin here by Jesus warning of danger of judging others. And Bonhoeffer particularly uses the word brother, not in the sense of a spiritual brother, but can be a physical brother. And it applies to people who are not Christians, as well as to Christians. And this is what he says, and I think this is very challenging. He says, how easy it would have been for the disciples to adopt a superior attitude, to pass unqualified condemnation on the rest of the world. And a a feeling of being superior, a feeling of being better than those who are unsaved is a real temptation. And we mustn't be like that. We mustn't, when we become Christian, think, well, we're better than those boys that go to the pub. We're better than those boys who rely on a Sunday and never come to church. We're better than those who have no thought for Jesus. We need to be careful about this because it is dangerous if we have a sense of being better than others. And pride is one of our greatest temptations. And this is one way that pride can slip into our lives. So how can that pride be counteracted. Because if we're going to be a light to the world, if we're going to be a witnesses for Jesus, we can't do it. We can't be effective in it if we have a sense of pride. Well, this is what Bonhoeffer says, the source of the disciple's life lies exclusively in his fellowship with Jesus Christ. He possesses his righteousness only within that association, never outside it. So what he's saying is it's our relationship, it's our fellowship with Jesus, it's being united to Jesus. That's how the Christian is righteous. We're not righteous by deciding to be good living and being better than other people. We're right in the sight of God through coming to trust in Jesus. So any righteousness we have is because of Jesus. And the reason why we know Jesus, the reason why we have accepted Jesus, is because of God's grace working in our lives. We sometimes heard the phrase, there but for the grace of God go I. The one difference, Christian, between you and the non-Christians that you may live with, you may work with, you may socialize with, you may go to school with, the one difference between you and those non-Christians, is God's grace. You're righteous. You're right with God because of Jesus, not because you're better. And Bonhoeffer says this in speaking of condemning others for their actions. He says, we are assuming by implication that the Word of God applies to ourselves in one way and to others in another. We're trying to claim for ourselves a special privilege, which we deny to others. So, what he's saying is there, we sin, we make mistakes, 
and we accept that we are forgiven because of God's grace. God deals with us in grace. But then when we look at how other people behave, we don't deal with grace. We deal with justice in our minds and our thinking and thinking, what terrible, lousy people they are. Look at the things that they do. Now, we mightn't say that in as many words, but if we're honest, that temptation to think that way is always there. So, it's a double standard. We accept the grace of Jesus to us, but in a sense, we deal with justice and condemnation towards others. Where would we be if God was to condemn us in the way that we would condemn others? God deals with us in grace, and so must we in our attitude to others. And and what Bonhoeffer is emphasizing is the, the attitude of the Christian to the unsaved world is not to be a, an attitude of pride, of superiority, or condemnation. Because of what has happened to us in Jesus, our attitude has to be one of love, grace, and tenderness to this needy world. Now, Jesus, he moves on here in Matthew 7 from speaking about judging others to speaking about placing pearls before swine in verse 6, and then about asking, seeking, and knocking from verse 7 on. And it's very interesting, Bonhoeffer, he doesn't separate these, he, he links these together. He says, what are the disciples to do when they encounter opposition and cannot penetrate the hearts of men? Like the you put sharing the gospel is like putting pearls before swine. You're giving something precious, but if you give that to pigs, they don't want that. They'll just trample it. They want food. He says the only way to reach others is through him, through Jesus, in whose hands they themselves, they are like themselves, all other men. And what he's saying is if we're going to be those who are going to be like giving pearls before swine, having our message rejected, it's going to happen so much more if we are those judgmental people, if we are those people filled with pride and condemnation towards others. He says it will always be that in a sense. It'd be like giving pearls before swine. He says, on the other hand, if we are humble, if we're gracious, if we're tender, if we come to people as redeemed sinners through grace alone and understand that. If we come as a beggar telling another beggar where they could find the bread of life, then it will not be so much casting our pearls before swine. He is highlighting how Jesus alone can reach the lost here. It's only achieved in His power. And He goes on and says this, Judgment and forgiveness are always in the hands of God. He closes and He opens, but the disciples must ask, they must seek and knock, and then God will hear them. They have to learn that their anxiety and concern for others must drive them to intercession. So, instead of being judgmental and always seeing the faults of those who are around us, He's saying we should come and intercede for them. We should ask. We should seek. We should knock on their behalf. We should do for them what they don't do for themselves. Come before the God of grace. 
recognizing that the only way they'll ever be saved is in the hands of God and pleading for them. And so the, the challenge for us is, do we have a condemnatory attitude towards others? Are we always looking down our noses at other people? Or do we reach out with the love, the grace, and power of Christ, which has reached into our lives? In verse 12, we have what's called the, the golden rule. He says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For those of us who are saved, we're thankful for those who prayed for us. We're thankful for those who exhibited Christian and godly characteristics before us, who were a witness to us, and who are faithful in sharing God's truth in tenderness and in love. We're thankful for those who have done that for us. We should do it for others. So the disciple and the unbeliever, not judgment, but grace and intercession. And then we have the, the great divide, and this brings home to us why this is so crucial. Jesus here now considers the broad and the, the narrow gates, the broad and narrow ways. Verse 13, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Bonhoeffer says that the path of discipleship is narrow, and it is fitly easy to miss one's way and stray from the path even after years of discipleship. And he goes on and says, to confess and testify to the truth as it is in Jesus, and at the same time to love the enemies of that truth, his enemies and ours, and to love them with the infinite love of Jesus Christ is indeed a narrow way. He's saying finding this narrow gate, finding this narrow path is tough. And keeping on this narrow path is tough. Now, it's not hard just to say a prayer and just saying a prayer that God will forgive us, but just saying a prayer that God will forgive you will not get you to heaven. He is... Jesus is teaching in, this, in these chapters that the way to heaven is to come and embrace Him as Savior and Lord. The way to heaven is the way of the disciple. The way to heaven is to go that narrow path. And so it's not just a matter of saying a prayer. It is following Jesus, letting Jesus be our master day by day. And the big problem, he says, is that the majority of people miss that gate, miss that path. The majority of people are going on the broad road. The majority of people are going to hell. And we need to accept that. We need to understand that. We need to understand that, in a sense, we'll always be in the minority as Christians because the majority on that road to destruction. You listen to the unbelieving world and People who die, and it's for those of any sense of heaven at all, they've all gone to heaven. It's not that William says, it's not that the Presbyterian Church in Ireland says, it's not that Brookside says the majority of people are not going to heaven. 
Jesus says, few are going on the narrow path and many are on the broad road to destruction. Which path are you on here today? Is Jesus your Savior? Have you come to see his death on the cross as your only hope? And you've embraced him as Savior and Lord. He's real in your life. You're following him. Not perfectly, but seriously, you're following him. Now, following isn't easy. And the key to keeping on that narrow path is keeping our eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the way. It's keeping our focus on him. Bonhoeffer says this. He says, but if we behold Jesus Christ going on before step by step, we shall not go astray. But if we worry about the dangers that beset us, if we gaze at the road instead of at him who goes before, we are already straying from the path. For he is himself the way, the narrow way, and the straight gate. He and he alone is our journey's end. I wonder many parents before a sports day have said to their children, now, when that whistle goes and you're going to run the race, don't look left, don't look right. Look to the finish line. Look ahead of you. Keep your eyes. Keep running straight. Keep that focus. And that is basically how God is saying for us to run on the narrow path. Don't look left. Don't look right. Don't look down. Look to the finish. Look to Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. Now, Bonhoeffer highlights here in verse, or Jesus highlights here, and Bonhoeffer picks up on this, how one of the, the challenges of keeping on this narrow path is that of false teachers, verses 15 and 16. And Bonhoeffer says this about these false teachers. He says, the bad tree will bring forth bad fruit. It is bound to give itself away sooner or later. There is no need to go about prying into the hearts of others. All we need to do is wait until the tree bears fruit. And we shall not have to wait long. So there is that, that danger of false teachers. And false teachers are not necessarily those who lead a religious group. False teachers can be just people who draw alongside us and say what is not biblical to us. Now, we need the right balance. We, we're not to be paranoid heresy hunters looking for heresy in every word someone says. And basically what Jesus is saying, what Bonhoeffer highlights here is false teachers by their actions in the end will reveal themselves. They'll show themselves. So we're not to be heresy hunters all the time, paranoid like that. But on the other hand, we're not to be complacent. There will always be false teaching until Jesus comes again. Bonhoeffer says this, he says, Jesus requires his disciples to distinguish between appearance and reality, between themselves and pseudo-Christians. At any moment, the nominal Christians may be separated from the real ones. We may even find that we are nominal Christians ourselves. Sometimes, even within the church, there are those who are very busy, very active, 
very involved. But they're not real followers of Jesus. Jesus goes on and he, he focuses on this chilling passage. Look at verse 21. He says, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? In your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, for me, that is the scariest passage in the Bible. It's the scariest passage for a minister. Bonhoeffer says this, Lord, Lord is the church's confession of faith. But not everyone who makes this confession will enter the kingdom of heaven. The dividing line will run right through the confessing church. And that's my great fear. There are people who can be communicant members in Brookside, people involved in the organizations, people involved in the life of the church, who one day will hear Jesus say, I never knew you. Because just being involved in the life of the church, just confessing Jesus as Lord with your voice, in itself is no guarantee that you're right. Bonhoeffer goes on and says, at this point, Jesus reveals to his disciples the possibility of demonic faith, which produces wonderful works, but which is nevertheless a denial of Jesus and of the life of discipleship. Because obviously, these people who are doing these miracles, they were getting that power from somewhere. And if they weren't getting that power from the Lord, they were getting it from the enemy. And just look at that quote. He says, what indeed determines someone as being a Christian, being saved, is not their wonderful works, even miracles, but it's the life of discipleship the life of following Jesus. Are you really a disciple? Have you a relationship with Jesus? Are you hearing and following His voice? Is He your Lord? It just terrifies. You know, it's my hobby horse. It's every minister's hobby horse about people going to the prayer meeting, the Bible study, to the evening service. I know a, a minister who's retired and speaking to a, a friend of mine recently, he said, you know, for years and years I castigated, you know, he says, my elders, my committee men and others. And, you know, he says, it did no good because of the desire is not there in their hearts. They might come out of guilt once or twice, but then they drift away again. But my concern is this. This is why I emphasize the evening service. This is why I emphasize the discipleship. It's not about numbers. It's not about that. I just cannot work it out that you can be serious about being a disciple of Jesus Christ and not serious about being there when God's people meet to worship, to pray, to study His Word. 
I cannot figure out how those two can come together. I cannot figure out how tonight you can be a disciple of Jesus Christ and quarter past six be sitting in front of a TV or sitting somewhere else instead of being with God's people. Now, I know at times, occasionally, things can come up. And there's some people who, because of certain work, I understand that, and God understands that. But I cannot understand how Jesus is your Lord. That's what we're saying here. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my King. How you can say that and then determine not to be there. I quoted this at midweek a few weeks ago. The ABC of church life, how so often among leadership in a church, ABC is important. Attendance, the buildings, and the cash. As long as the attendance is all right, as long as the buildings are all right, as long as the cash coming in is all right, the church is all right. But there's no burden for the D, discipleship. Get the D right. Get discipleship right. Then the ABC will all be all right. Discipleship is what the church is to be all about. Go and make disciples. And then finally, we have building on the rock. In Matthew 7, a very familiar story of the foolish and the wise builders. And the key here building on the rock. It's not just the Word, but obedience to the Word of God, if you look at those verses from 24 on. And Bonhoeffer says about Jesus, He does not allow His hearers to go away and make of His sayings what they will, picking and choosing from them whatever they find helpful, and testing to see if they work. He does not give them free rein to misuse His Word with their mercenary hands but gives them on condition that it retains exclusive power over them. Building on the Word of God, building on the rock, means accepting the power of God's Word as an authority over our lives. This Word must always be approached reverently with a serious commitment to let it changes. Bonhoeffer says, Jesus knows only one possibility, simple surrender and obedience. That's the only way to hear His Word. The only proper response to this Word, which Jesus brings with Him from eternity, is simply to do it. Isn't that what Nike says? Just do it. Jesus has spoken. His is the Word ours, the obedience. Is God's Word changing you? Do you come to the Word just for an encouragement, or do you believe that this is the royal decree? This is the Word from on high. This is God speaking, and you have to obey. You have to listen. You have to act upon it. Is it leading you on this narrow path of discipleship? Is it causing you to say, not what I want, but what, what you want, O Lord. And Bonhoeffer warns about a, a failure to obey. He says, he says, however vehemently we, we assert our faith, 
and our fundamental recognition of His Word, Jesus still calls it not doing. But the Word which we fail to do is no rock to build a house on. There can be no union of Jesus. He has never known us. So he's saying, this idea that you know the Word, this idea that you have all the sound doctrine and, and beliefs, he says, it's no use, no value if you do not do it, if you do not obey it. Is God's Word shaping and reshaping your life? Is Jesus speaking to you day by day? Is Jesus bringing you with Him? Are you following? Are you being a disciple? Are you hearing His voice? Yes, you hear the voices of the world around. You hear the voice from within, but you say, no, Jesus, it's your voice. I will follow. Jesus, I can't do it myself. I can't do it in my strength. But you have promised you will walk with me. You have promised that you will carry me through. Jesus, I'm taking you at your word. I'm committing myself fully to you. I will be your disciple. May God give us such grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Oh, Father, there's so much in it. There's so much, but it, it just boils down to just this relationship with Jesus, this relationship through faith, through His Word, and responding in obedience to walk that narrow path, fixing our eyes on Him, following Him every step of the way. Father, Jesus didn't come just to make converts. He didn't come just so we would confess him. He came to make disciples. Oh, that we would be those students, those followers. Forgive us, Father, for our many failings. Forgive us where we have been, like Peter in the Bible, walking at a distance where we have grown cold. Lord, we give a fresh commitment today. Would you help us? to follow, to hear His voice, to hear His Word, to let it penetrate our lives and to walk with Him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If the young people will come to the front again, please help us keep us in tune. And our closing prayers, I just hope this really encourages us when we get such a challenge. Yet not I but through Christ in me. Yet not I, but through Christ in me.
Just to remind you of the sign-up sheets for the Holiday Bible Club and also for the fun night. I encourage you to take a bit of time to sign the way out. The benediction, the good word. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen.